So what we want to do is try to um, envision what happens in the book of Acts uh, and how this develops in the life of the church through kind of a sequence of events that take place in, uh, in, this, in this passage. Let me go forward here to um, how the Holy Spirit unroll, unfolds this in the life of the church. What we're going to do is we're going to go and turn to Acts chapter 11. And in order to get there, I want to just, um, or a background of being there, I want us to remember what happens in the book of Acts chapter 8 and how this gets picked up up on back in Acts chapter uh, 11. Now what happens is in Acts 8, after the stoning of Stephen, a great persecution breaks out in the life of the church. Now this is another interesting point, and we'll actually come back to this later. We're going to explore the role of the... um, uh, of the um, a persecution. But what we find is that in the life of the church, there is this command that we had earlier to go into Judea and Samaria, remember? And you're my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, if you actually look at what happened, the disciples stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go out. They stayed there. Now, we had this problem too today where we say, well, you know, there's so much to be done in Orlando. Why in the world we waste our time going to Papua New Guinea when uh, there's enough problems just on, you know, uh, Orange Blossom Trail is a lifetime of work, right? Why would I need to go to into the earth? So the church has sometimes got into inertia on this point because there's no town or village on the planet that doesn't have endless work to be done, right? And so that can create a challenge for the church because at what point do you say, okay, we, we've got to keep moving, all right? So in the case of the book of Acts, the persecution breaks out, and they're forced to scatter. We're told in Acts 8.1, the, they were scattered. In this case, the apostles didn't, but the rest of the church scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, just think about this as a possibility. In your theology, like you have a box in your head called Theologically Proper Things. Outside that box are improper theological things, all right? And so when you hear people make statements, you know, someone says, Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. You say, okay, red flag goes off. That's an improper, that's outside the box. Someone says, Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, that's in that box, all right? So at what point, uh, you know, where, how do we figure out what's in that box? So if someone said to you that God permitted persecution in the early church in Acts 8 in order to get the disciples out and moving, Okay, I wanted to suggest to you it might be inside the right box. Okay, Not everybody accepts that idea, but it's very, very uh, clear in the text, at least, that the scatter of the disciples, which happened, though they were commanded to do it, they hadn't done it. And sometimes God like puts a little fire under our rear end <laughs> to get us moving. I often say about the, the migration of Muslims into the, into the Western world, people often say to me, you know, are you worried about Muslims, you know, migrating to, to America? I say, no, no, uh, Lord, send them to us because we, we refuse to go to them. And we, we've, been, we've, been, we've, been told, we've been told for thousands of years, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go to every people group. We won't do it. We're not going to the Muslims. We won't go. That's too difficult. And so God, okay, I'll bring them to you then. 
So he's bringing them to us. All right. This is God bringing the mission field to us. It happens all the time through history, and it's an opportunity for the church to do its work. And so they come. The immigration problem, you know, the immigration is amazing. You know, we all, all the problems with immigration, we're going to build walls and everything. But, you know, if you think of the actual people that come across the border, the, the likelihood of them becoming Christians or already being Christians is extraordinarily high. And so the immigrant populations in North America are the, now the most vibrant churches in North America. The, the fastest growing churches in America are not people with white people, Anglo-Saxons in them. It are the ethnic churches. There's an explosion of ethnic churches across America being driven by the immigrants. So that means that the immigrants are going to be the ones that reach the resistant white people. The Anglo-Saxons in America will be reached in the next generation by the, by the ethnic churches. So praise the Lord. I mean, you know, we have to always, you know, there's all kinds of things that governments have to do, and that's important to do that. I'm not trying to get into that. I'm just saying from a point of view, the gospel point of view, uh, God sometimes does things that are uncomfortable, difficult, even painful. But it, in the long run, it's fulfilling his mission in the world. So they get down to Joseph Samaria. They're complaining, God, why'd you do this? But next thing you know, they go down there. They're sharing the gospel. And then, man, miraculous signs come out in Acts 8, you know, Philip and all the rest. Now they're in Samaria, the second part of the Great Commission. Okay, well, there's a long kind of discursus in Acts that... Um, that really has to get us through to the Apostle Paul being, um, you know, being converted and brought to the faith and all of that. And the whole thing of Peter, Cornelius' household. There's a lot of really important theological blocks that Acts has to lay out. Finally, get to Acts 11. Okay, in Acts 11, we're now at a new uh, point in Acts 11 where we have the return to Acts 8 verse 1 that's referred to in Acts 11.19. Because remember it says in Acts 11.19, now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, that's Acts 8.1. All right, so it's, don't forget that. There was this persecution that got scattered. We're picking that thread back up. Some of them go as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Now this is really, in light of the Great Commission things that you've now heard, you should really get this point. All right. You, you get displaced from your country. You now find yourself in wherever. You're in Pakistan. And you're walking in the streets of Pakistan. What am I doing in Pakistan? Suddenly, you see a person walking up the road to meet you. And I, but this actually happened to me. In real, real, this actually happened. I was literally in Pakistan I was walking down the road. I saw this man coming my way, and I realized he was white. So, oh, wow. He's like, maybe from my people group. So, you know, he could be European, could be, you know, whatever, but I thought he got a little closer. He might be American. So I said something, hello. He's an American. Hey, you know, who won the World Series, you know, whatever. And then finally, uh, you know, where, where are you from? Because his, his voice had a, you know, nice southern accent. Where are you from? He said, Georgia. I said, I'm from Georgia. Ah, this is great. You know, Georgia Peach, you know. We were going through our thing, you know, about Georgia stuff, things that you know about if you're from Georgia. And, you know, Atlanta Braves or whatever the Hawks, you know, we're talking about things. We're, we're in Georgia. He's from Atlanta. I'm from Atlanta. All right? So <laughs> this is, I mean, in, in missiology, this is called the homogeneous unit principle. 
there's a whole, there's a whole world to study on this. It is absolutely proven that people like to share the gospel with people who are like themselves. It's just the way it goes. I mean, I was in India. We had this movement that, I mean, there's a, again, the divine that broke out in a place called Saharanpur. Okay, and this, uh, there weren't a lot of Christians there, and this little movement came on people that were, they are, they're from a, a caste in India that are known for, for uh, removing dead bodies of animals. Okay, so in India, if a cow dies or an animal dies, I hear you call the DOT. They come, you know, they come, they scrape it up, and they drive it off in a truck. In India, there's a whole group of people, that's what their job is. And they come in, every city has them, you know, and they come in, they get rid of the animals. So this group received the gospel. Now, on the caste system, as caste goes, you know, Brahmins, you know, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas, Shudras, they're not any of those even. Okay, there's four like big groupings. They are what's called Dalit, outcast. And they're away, they're the, they're the floor of the whole thing. So no one wants to speak to them. No one, they're, they're considered like, you know, just worthless. And that's why they have this job. They're animal cleaners. So for the grace of God, they, they open their heart to the gospel. They became, they became Christians. It's a beautiful story. So we began to build churches there, et cetera, et cetera. So we would say to them, share the gospel with your friends. They never would do it. So eventually we went down there and they said, well, you know, we, we, this is true. We haven't shared our friends, but we have started four churches. You know, what? Yeah, in the other groups. See, they went to other towns nearby that had their people and they shared with them. We actually had 12 churches planted by those people in all the other animal scavenger groups, you know, that, that they, they knew because that was their people. The other people wouldn't even give them time of day. This is a universal challenge. So when they scatter down to uh, Samaria, they tell the gospel to Jews. These are Jews sharing with Jews. That's the world they know. And they can explain, hey, Jesus fulfills our scriptures. He fulfills our prophets. But someone said, well, they, they never, these Greeks, they never heard about your prophets. They don't care about your Jewish promises. That, that's a world that's intimidating to them. I don't know how to tell. I don't know. If you're a Jew in the first century, you're a Christian. You've become a follower of Jesus. You do not know how to share Jesus with somebody who's not a Jew. Because your whole frame of reference is how he fulfills Jewish promises, Jewish hopes, Jewish covenant, da-da-da-da. So... This is why this is considered by many mission leaders and scholars, etc., to be the most significant missiological breakthrough in the entire book of Acts is right here. And it comes with a phrase, but some of them, and that, and that is the group, and that's so great, we don't even know their names. We don't know who these people are. Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Okay, this is not saying they spoke them in the Greek language. Okay, someone says, well, maybe that's what they... No, no, no. This is clearly them. These are Jews talking to Greeks who are not Jews. This is a huge moment. I know we have the, the Acts 8 thing where Philip shares with some, uh, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and all that. This is not the, not the first cross-culture, but that was a whole divinely encountered thing. And that was a one-time deal. It's gone. This is, a, this is the church going out to a new part of the world and them saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do this because Christ commanded it. And notice that they introduce this new phrase, which becomes, by the way, the dominant phrase in the whole, book of, in the whole New Testament from here on. 
Up to this point, everything is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah, right? That's a Jewish term. It comes from Messiah, meaning the anointed one. So the word for anointed one in Hebrew and Greek, it comes out to the word Messiah, or Messiah in the Greek and Christ in the, in the Greek. I'm sorry, Messiah in Hebrew and Christ in the Greek. So Jesus Christ is a title. Christ is not his last name, right? It's not like, you know, Smith, Jesus Christ. No, this is a title, Jesus the Anointed One. That's a Jewish thing. Suddenly they start using the phrase, Lord Jesus, kurios, Lord. This is a Greek word. The Greeks understood lords and gods. They got that. So they said, this is the Lord of all, of all of the universe. This is a very powerful word. So what we're seeing is a dramatic breakthrough. So I want to just kind of unfold what happens here. You have in Acts 11.20, the first, what I call, organized or at least, you know, effort church movement to cross cultures with the gospel in Acts 11.20. And then look what happens. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, this is a, an amazing uh, church movement. In fact, by the, by the end of the second century, and this is outside of the book of Acts, but when you, if you actually follow this historically, by the end of the second century, if you were to live at that time, you'd say, what, you know, where is the largest church in the world? I'm not saying like an individual building, like we say all buildings, like some big church in Orlando or whatever, but this is about saying, what city in the world has more Christians than any other city? The answer to the question would have been Antioch. The Antioch became, by the way, it was, it's not by a small bit, by a huge margin. So Jerusalem begins to fade in the background, comparatively speaking, and Antioch becomes the heartbeat of Christianity and becomes more and more Gentiles. 